This is a messianic study of the book of Romans. It's given in a midrashic setting, which is audience participation. It was given during the months of June through August 2008. The discussion leader is John Behrens. He's pastor of Restoration Messianic Fellowship. You can reach our website at www.crimsonthread.com. There you can find this study in its entirety as well as other resources for your messianic study of the scriptures. This discussion has been edited and a number of the comments have been either truncated or removed for clarity and continuity. All right, so last week we got uh, through Romans uh, 8, uh, probably got through verse 11. Does that sound right to everybody? All right, so let's get a running start at it. So we'll pick it up at chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Messiah does not belong to him. But if Messiah is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of them who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. All right, so what are we getting life for? What is being given life? Oh, our spirit. What is being given life? Read it. Our mortal bodies. What that says is, and, and this is Judaism 101, okay? Jews do not believe in, you know, white robes floating ethereally through the ether somewhere. They believe in a world to come in which you will have a body very much like the body that you have now, except it will be able to do the same kinds of things that Yeshua's resurrected body did after the resurrection. But it is not the case that you're going to float around for eternity as a spirit. You're going to be, in a sense, as Adam was before he fell. In other words, you're going to get a body according to the original design. So Paul is saying here is, he who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay? So now that's where we left off last time. So now we're getting into new territory. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. All right, that's going to take a while to unpack. First off, again, he's talking about slaves. And remember, we went through a whole long riff about being slaves to whatever you obey. Okay? There are no neutrals in here. You are either a slave of God or you are a slave of sin. Those are your two choices. There's, there's no column C. And so what he's saying is, if you live according to the Spirit, you will not be a slave to sin and to the flesh. 
If, however, you live according to the flesh, you will die. The only path to life, if you will, is living according to the Spirit. Then he takes it a step farther, and this is now new. For all who are led by the Spirit are of God are sons of God. Now, one of the things that we find over and over again, uh, especially in the book of Hebrews, which I believe Paul wrote. Doesn't mean he did, it just means that's what I think. Okay. He talks extensively about our relationship to God and our relationship to Yeshua. Okay, and remember we talked last time that the reason Yeshua had to come in the flesh is because God gave this creation, this world, to Adam. And so nobody else has legal right to do anything here except Adam because Adam has got the original set of keys. Now Adam put himself under slavery to sin and to Satan by his own free will, but Satan doesn't belong here. Okay, Satan's out of place. And the only way Satan can stay here is to hide behind us, who are the rightful owners. If we get out of the way, Satan has no place to stand anymore. He's an interloper and he's illegal. The reason Yeshua came is because in order to go and grab the keys away from Satan, Yeshua had to come as a man. In other words, he had to be born of woman, he had to be a man, he had to be of the seed of Adam in order to go and slap Satan around and grab the keys back. Am I saying that so it makes sense? All the keys say do not duplicate on them. And all the keys say do not duplicate, exactly. Satan doesn't have any. What he's then saying, which he says in Hebrews, is, oh, by the way, since Yeshua is a man, a son of Adam, he is also a brother of ours because we are also sons of Adam, right? And he makes this argument a lot more extensively in the book of Hebrews. Here he's just sort of skating past it, and, and, but it's, it's important because the next thing he's going to say is, oh, and by the way, Yeshua is the Son of God. Cool, I'll buy that. Well, if Yeshua is my brother, who must I be? Well, okay, I'm a, I, I am a son of God because I'm a brother to Yeshua. Not everybody is a son of God. One of the things that Yeshua did when he was duking it out with the Pharisees, remember, I think it's in John about chapter 8, somewhere around there, he dukes it out with the Pharisees and he says, you are of your father. Your father the devil. So he specifically says, you guys are not sons of God. And so the other thing he's saying by extension is becoming a son of God is more than simply being a child of Adam. What Messiah purchased for you is the ability to become a son of God, and you get that through faith in Yeshua. Am I saying all that so makes sense to everybody? But he's, he's sort of taken a turn here, and now he's talking about heirship. Okay? And you need to sort of understand what the argument is there and why it is we're heirs. And as I say, that's done a bit more extensively in Hebrews. It is not. Yeah, comment was that one of the one of the popular phrases is, "Well, they're all God's children." No, they're not. That's not scriptural. God has got a specific list of people who are His children, and there are qualifications for being one. And simply being having a birth certificate is not one of the qualifications. However, having a birth certificate is sufficient 
for you to defeat Satan. Because with a birth certificate, that certifies that you're human. And that means that you have authority here, and he does not. All right, so now we're down to uh, maybe verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. All right, so now we talked about the spirit of slavery. We talked about that back in, in uh, chapter 7, where he was talking about you've got to be on one side or the other. Okay, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. But now we have to fall back into fear. One of the things that we've said, I don't know whether I've said it in this venue, but I've said it a lot, is fear and faith are twins. In other words, faith is the mechanism in a human being by which you can bring things out of the spiritual world into existence. Okay, that, that's what it does. Fear does the same thing. In other words, the, the same circuitry in you, whatever that is, can either operate in fear or in faith. And what Satan tries to do is get you to operate in fear so that bad things are brought into existence. What God tries to do is get you to operate into faith, in faith so that good things are brought into existence. And so what he's saying is the spirit of slavery to sin and death attaches to, with it a spirit of fear. So if you're on that side, you basically spend your life operating in fear instead of operating in faith. Now, since you are a child of Adam, and since you do have this mechanism in you by which you are a conductor or a transducer, in other words, you are the only thing in creation that's designed to operate both in the spiritual and the physical. That's what God made you to do. That's why you're here, is so that you can tend the garden. And to do that, you've got to operate in the spiritual realm, and you've got to operate in the physical realm, and you're designed to do that. And what Satan wants to do is hijack that capability so that instead of operating in faith, you're operating in fear, and you're doing the stuff he wants you to do instead of the stuff God wants you to do. And your default mode before you learn God is fear. We don't have to have, we don't have any problem operating in fear. Most of us are really good at that. What's hard is operating in faith. That's what all of the Bible is trying to teach you to do. 16. 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Messiah, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And we talked about suffering earlier, and especially in the context of baptism. Okay, remember baptism being a mikvah is you start in the realm of death, you go through the water, you die, and you come up on the far side born again. Again, Torah 101. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Raise your hand. We are. For the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. All right. What happened when Adam went down is he took everything with him. 
because his job was to be this spiritual transducer between spiritual and physical, when he shorted out, if you will, everything went with him. The creation did not volunteer to go into futility. It got jerked into futility by the sin of Adam. Uh, now, what I'm going to say next is Johnnyology. Okay? Believe it if you like. doesn't matter. If you look back at the story of the fall in Genesis 3, Eve ate of the fruit. And I personally believe that as soon as she did, a change in her was evident to Adam. In other words, I, I believe that he saw death in her instantly as soon as she disobeyed. At that point, he's got a choice. Okay? Choice one is he say, Woo, babe, you're in trouble. Woo! Stay away from me. That's choice one. Choice two is he can follow her into death with the hope that the two of them can eventually come out of death together. Okay? And that's what he did. And that's, if you read Genesis 3, is what God is talking about with childbirth and all that kind of stuff. You know, you, you shall have a child and he shall bruise, uh, Satan shall bruise his head or his heel and he shall bruise Satan's head and so forth. That's what that's all talking about. It's the promise of someone born of Eve who will eventually get us out of this mess. And that's what I'm suggesting is this hope part that I just read in verse at the end. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, Adam, in hope. Fortunately, King Jimmy capitalizes the hymn. Okay. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. So the way I read that, and as I said, this is Johnnyology. You don't, you don't have to buy this if you don't like it. The one who subjected it to futility was Adam because he's the one that dragged it down. And he did that in hope that the two of them, Adam and his wife Eve, would then be able at some point to bring forth someone that would bring it back up. And that's what Genesis 3 is talking about. 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And again, this goes back to Torah 101. He, they are not, they, he is not looking forward to going into heaven and being issued a harp. He's looking forward to what we would call the New Jerusalem. 24. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. All right. Um, for, for in this hope we are saved. Now this is sort of the, the culmination of that rift that started clear back when he was talking about Abraham. And Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, right? What did he believe God about? 
the promise of a son. Okay, and he didn't have it. But he hoped and believed God, and that was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, so we've sort of come full circle here, if you will, from the beginning of the thing with Abraham. And the other part of it is, one of the hard things about hope is you can't see it. Okay, faith, you can't see, you just have to trust. Fear we're real good at because we've got lots of experience with that. And our imaginations run wild. Our imaginations don't near, do nearly as good with faith. Okay? You've got more practice with fear. But it's the same mechanism. It's the same mechanics. 